my message to you is to never give up and always seek for solution, ask for help, knock on the door, people will help you and you'll get help. Everyone you meet every single day is fighting a battle you may know nothing about. We're all in the process of overcoming. I'm Justin Wren, and my story has been heard by millions of people through my book, my TED Talk, podcast interviews, TV shows, professional fighting, and my foundation, Fight for the Forgotten. I believe we are all overcomers if we choose to overcome. We all have the option. I've been given the opportunity to overcome childhood trauma, sexual abuse, immense bullying, depression, suicidal ideation, substance use disorder, and I am a two-time suicide survivor. We are here to have conversations with some of the greatest minds of our time. Get ready to be inspired and to receive the tools and game plan to win this fight called life. Thank you for being here, for showing up for yourself. You, me, we have overcome 100% of our darkest days. I'm not done yet, and neither are you. This is your invitation to overcome. What an episode we have today. This has been absolutely one of my all-time favorites ever. So powerful. Gilbert, wow. I cried several times. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, I did too. I, 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 there was moments that I was like, felt my hands a little shaky just from, from the realness of the story. I was just like, oh my gosh, gut-wrenching, heartbreaking, also heartwarming and inspiring. And I think any listener is in for a treat today. Yes. And I wanted to just say, too, that if people hear his story and are very moved by it and want to know more, I would encourage you to buy his book, which came out uh, over a decade ago, but it's still very relevant and very powerful. And there is more to the story that he shared with us just when he was leaving that's in the book. And so check out his book, The Voice in My Heart, I believe it's called, and it's on Amazon. And you can learn more about the story, which is very moving. I mean, when you think you've overcome something, you hear a story like this, and I'm kind of getting choked up just mm. thinking about it. And and you think, what am I complaining about? Mm. Really? It's it's um, truly an overcome story. Yeah, I see you tearing up. Yeah, I know. It and just it's, like, it's his real. story really gets me. From Burundi, even has done work among the pygmy people who I are near and dear to my heart. Who yeah. I love. And we might, on the way out, we decided <laughs> we might be going to Burundi with him someday. I took a photo of you two commiserating right after the show ended in these chairs and talking about possibly, I mean, you said Burundi and he said, you want to go? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And he said he thinks his next time I'll be going with him. Yeah. And I really think so. And yeah. if it's possible, um, if our schedules align and if we can partner together, even if it's just a scout trip for Fight for the Forgotten to see if there's a way for us to partner together with Gilbert, with the Gazelle Foundation, with this incredible man who you're going to hear was uh, on the 100 Sexiest Men Alive in the magazines. <laughs> People and, magazines, and, and, Sexiest uh, Men Alive. Yeah, him being invited to the White House and one of the greatest of all time athletes asking him for an autograph and, and everything this man has overcome. Um, you are going to be inspired. You are going to be empowered to rise up and overcome mm-hmm. because of Gilbert. To Abonye. To Abonye. To Abonye, yes. And you can follow him at G to Abonye. 
spelled exactly like it sounds, T-U-H-A-B-O-N-Y-E. And gilbertsgazelles.com is his website about running here in Austin. So you can get a lot of information there if you're interested in joining, or you can go to gazellefoundation.org to learn more about his foundation. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You guys had so much in common. I'm just so happy that this happened because we've been working to set this up with him for months. Yeah, so seems like a year or more. It feels like a lot. Yeah. I think it's been over six months that we've been wow. working on this. So I'm just happy that Thank it actually you for happened. Helping make it, it happen. I, you know what? I had a feeling, yeah. and so follow your feelings. Mm. It's a good lesson in that. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. I'm so grateful for him. I'm so grateful for our listeners. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for being here, for listening for showing up for yourself. And also thank you for showing up for us in the yeah. podcast. Thank you for supporting it. Uh, a, a great way you can support it is to rate, review, subscribe, like, follow on YouTube. You can become one of our subscribers on Apple. You can leave us a review and that lets us know what you are really liking, what we can improve, how we can make this podcast better, how we can serve you um, and, and grow. And grow. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And grow and, to serve. And, right. and on Spotify, you can leave a review for us there as well. So yeah. thank you so much. And quick shout to everybody at Permanent Record. And thank you yeah. to Grant. And Mike, to Mike. Always, always uh, being a available. solid production team. So. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. If you're in Austin and you need a podcast studio, Permanent Record. That's where to go. That's, that's, where, that's where we are. Mm-hmm. So thank you so much, guys, for, for making this possible. All right, here we go. <laughs> Gilbert Tuabanye. <laughs> Gilbert, I'm so grateful that you're here. Thank you for having me, Justin. Yeah, I, I really am. I think that you have such a important sh- uh, story to share. And your life has taken you a lot of places. I guess your feet have with being a runner. But I wanted to start um, because with something because I, I think this is the first time and it's it's kind of a bit of a, it's a small confession. And... Um, the confession is I've never had a, a guest that I'm jealous of and jealousy is not a good thing. Right. But, but <laughs> uh, being a fighter, you're the first man I've met that Muhammad Ali asked you for an <laughs> autograph. Is that right? Yeah. I can't believe it. <laughs> I still don't believe it. Um, yeah, you, we would talk about this in the show, but when he asked me, man, wow. Yeah. Was that at the White House or where no, was that? it was at Orlando Disney World. Okay. Yeah. He was receiving the athletes of the century. Wow. Yeah. So it was amazing. And the athlete of the century is asking you for your <laughs> autograph. I'm joking about, about being jealous, but that's an incredible honor. Yeah. I sat on his table and uh, at that point he, you know, he was getting to that stage. His speech was not very clear. He went, can I, oh my gosh, just... Oh, I knew what he wanted, and sure, sure, sure. I will leave. I will leave those words for forever, man. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. And what a what an athlete he is. I I actually just got. It's kind of strange. I got a. It's actually awesome, but 
it's weird to see the greatest or a pair of wrestling shoes that on the side says uh, float like a butterfly, sting like a bee. Oh. But I just got these wrestling shoes that I think are the best wrestling shoes ever made, and they're in honor of him. And so it's uh, it's neat. I'm, I'm on the mats. I've I've always looked up to him. We actually have a painting that normally is in studio that says overcome, and it's got him uh, in the iconic photo where he's standing over his opponent. And so what an incredible honor you had there. Yes, uh Yes, it was great. It was a great experience. Yeah, because yeah. growing up, as as you know, even if I was not a fighter, Muhammad Ali was my hero. Wow. Yeah. Well, it's an honor for me and Amy to to have you as a guest today. Um, I want you to know that up front that that we're just really grateful, really grateful. So my thank you. My pleasure to be here. Yeah. Well, I guess to set up some of your story, um, you're a runner. You've got a foundation. So I feel like we we have a kindred spirit in in many ways. You're an athlete with a foundation. I, I'm an athlete with a foundation. So hearing about you, Amy, I think was the first person that that told me about you. But then all around town, uh, whenever people would find out my story or that I moved here, like you got to meet Gilbert. And so it's finally happening today. I'm grateful for that. And can you set up a little bit of your your background? What country uh, you were born and raised in, and um, some of the tragic things that happen, but, but how you've learned and grown the, the name of this podcast is overcome and kind of the premise is you, me, we have overcome a hundred percent of our darkest days. And now we get to share our light or, sh- or, um, share our love with the world. And I think a lot of people have been battling, especially since COVID and things just different life challenges and struggles, whether it's financial, whether it's mental health, um, whether it's losing someone they love or all sorts of things. But, um, I think that people with the stories like you, it's so important to share so people can see the world in the, in, in reality, not just our cultural bubble, um, or kind of our, our American lens, but a broader stroke a real world picture and and you've, you can, you can kind of, you're a unique person that you can bridge the gap between, between two different things, the water crisis, all, all sorts of things. That's too kind. Um, my name is Gilbert Tuhabonye and, uh, I was born and raised in Burundi, Africa. Uh, Burundi is a very small, small country. It's, uh, located south of Rwanda um west of Tanzania and east the, of Congo the Congo yeah, yeah. DRC well, the DRC here you yeah. go yeah. and we have uh DRC and Burundi there's this huge lake uh second deepest lake in the whole world called Lake Tanganyika with tons of fishes mm. um and um growing up in Burundi was not easy uh, here in America, when people said I'm poor, you know, there's a certain level of poverty. I did not have water or electricity in the house. I didn't have a transportation. My school was 10K or six miles away from my home. As you can imagine, the first wow. grade, walking six miles, climbing from... Um, my school was close to 8,000 feet and I lived 5,000. I was climbing 5,000 feet going to school and um, 
I would stay at the school a uh, whole day because I didn't want to go back for lunch. It would be too much. So I was doing the 12 miles uh, of running, walking on a daily basis. And then um, before school and after school, I would fetch water, which was uh, two miles down the, in the valley, Ooh. climbing this mountain, this hill, and, and then I would run to school. Then at the end of the day, um, you know, I'll be collecting cows. We have so many cows for the family. We lived in a compound where my aunts and my, uh, I mean, my uncles and cousins, we were, we have uh, almost 80 cows. We collect those cows, make sure every, everybody's, every county, every cows was counting for. Um, and the, just real fast. Oh, did, did you, you have, have shoes? No. No shoes. No I didn't shoes. have shoes. My first pair of shoes was when I was 15. Wow. And, um, you know. Uh, and, and, and just on that, no shoes, but 5,000 feet, that's, that's climbing a mile in the mountains. And just because the nonprofit I have, we, we drill water wells. And, and um, I know that the jerry cans that you're filling, oh, yeah. those are five gallons. That's right or 20 liters, that's 44 pounds. And so when you're saying that you're climbing down into a valley two miles and walking out with that, that's at least with one jerry can, that's 44 pounds. That's right. And sometimes y'all would do it with probably two. Two, uh, yeah. Yeah. So 88 pounds. And you might have weighed less than 88 pounds uh, at the time, you know, as a schoolboy. And that is so... I mean, it's, it's, it's hard. It's a challenge. And, and I don't think people under understand that when we say poverty here in the United States, but, but please continue. And, um, uh, sometimes when I come from school, there will be food or be no food. Cause again, this is not here where you have a microwave, you put food for, mm. you know, two minutes, you know, however you want. That was not the case. I would never forget uh, my grandma, who never been to school, but going to church every Sunday. She memorized the church, she memorized the songs, and she would start singing for us. At the end of the day, we would mm. sit around the pits, like a fire. We cooking beans. You cook it potato. Those takes time. Yeah. And our grandma was very smart. She would find a way to entertain us, so mm. we don't go to sleep hungry, because it was a long day going to school. I mean. Unbelievable. And so um, then there was a time when I passed a national exam to go to a boarding school seven hours away from my home. Mm-hmm. You can imagine seventh, seventh, seventh grade, sending your seventh grade to a boarding school. You don't get a chance to see them. For me, it was a growth. I learned how to be a man. I learned how to be responsible, how to make friends, how to do chores without my mom and dad telling me what to do. And In seventh grade, are you are you twelve, thirteen? Yes, that uh, yes, wow. yes. You have to start at school six, seven, because they want to make sure you can walk that distance. At least my age. Now things are different. What's that sound? Ooh, that is your tropical alpha brain focus shot which is my favorite of the Alpha Brain line through Onnit. Onnit.com slash overcome. If you're watching this on video, Amy's smiling and she's <laughs> opening it right now so she can take almost a five-hour energy type-like shot 
but it's uh, so much better for oh, you. And it feels better. It feels better. It feels a like a clean better. energy. Mm-hmm. It really does. And this ad is a one and only ad. How'd it taste? It's good. It's good, right? Yes. It tastes like passion fruit, which is mm-hmm. perfect for this episode. Because passion <laughs> fruit comes, at least the best passion fruit I've had, comes from Africa. Just like uh, from the Burundi forest or the Congo forest or the Ugandan forest. And the passion fruit I love there. And the passion fruit of Alpha Brain I absolutely love. And the semi-annual sale with On It is one of the biggest sales you will ever hear of. What are some of the the discounts? Well, some of the discounts that run through May 29th are 25% off supplements. 10% off fitness. 60% off other things like kettlebells, doorbusters, they call them. 20% off nutrition, like their fat butter that I really like. 20% off apparel and gear. And 50% off digital, like their digital training program, like the Onnit 6. That's huge. That's huge. I don't, I don't, this is, this is awesome. And... I don't know when another sale like this is going to come around. Yeah, so seize it now because it does end in just a matter of days. Seize it. Total human optimization. I'm so grateful for them helping me. And uh, yeah, total humanitarian optimization. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> but thank you so much for Gilbert being here. Thank you, it for sponsoring the show, making this podcast possible. And wow, we're about to return to a very powerful story. Yes, and people can always get a discount using our code OVERCOME mm-hmm. on the Onnit website. But now is just a great, great time to get some of those offers. Or maybe try some things that you haven't tried before that can really optimize your workouts. Yeah. And the focus shots like, like you talk about. They're so them. easy because you can just pop them in your bag. Yeah. I carry them with me. Yep. I drink it before sparring, drink it before the podcast, mm-hmm. on the drive here, right when I get to the studio, if I forgot. And I think it's, I think all three are different. The Alpha Brain pills, actually all four, the Alpha Brain Instant, the Alpha Brain Focus Shots, and the Alpha Brain Black Label. Which is good, because sometimes I do all three in one day, <laughs> which I don't think you're supposed to do, but I do it, and I'm fine. Take it I as enjoy it. recommended. <laughs> But uh, thank you all so much. Thank you, Onnit. And thank you to the listeners of the show. Onnit.com slash overcome. And so seven hours away from my home uh, where I remember sending a letter to my parents to tell them I'm okay, I'm doing great on my exams. But the they, they, they mail will not get home until I come for Christmas. That's how slow things were. And... Um, Unfortunately, 1993, October the 21st, is the day that I would never forget in my entire life. That day, I was, I was going to school like a normal boy, wanted to graduate to, to go to college, was very driven. I wanted to go to university for science because I was, I was good in science. And uh, that October 21st, a president, a Hutu president was assassinated. We have a two major tribes in Burundi, Hutu and Tutsis. Hutu are a majority and Tutsi are a minority. When, uh, I, I was going to ask this earlier because you said that you would go do, um, at the end of school, cattle. And I mean, I think a, a difference between the tribes is Tutsi are, are kind of, uh, is that right? Where they're more cattle uh, shepherds and Hutu are more... Um, Farmers, uh, is that a correct or is that backwards? Uh, 
It depends, but yeah, yeah, it depends. I think if you look that way, uh, it's probably what the history can tell, or the the data can tell, but it's not what determine or or define what a Tutsi yeah. and Hutu. What uh, tribe were you from? I'm Tutsi. 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 Okay. And um, but growing up, what well, I grew up in a family where they preached uh, unity, unity, uh, unity, equality, equality, work together. They didn't teach us to hate that because it's a Hutu. Hutu. Yeah. So we were sharing meal. There was intermarriage. Yeah. Uh, and so I grew up in that family that it's really, you know, we learn how to treat uh, human equally. Yeah. And um, that October the 21st, 1993, it, it was um, a horrible day for me mm. and a horrible day for the, the entire country. The president was assassinated mm. by the soldier. And and uh, the Hutu came to my school trying to kill everyone, uh, started by the teachers. And then I was a senior that time. And um, it, it was really difficult to who to trust, who to believe. And um, I went to the headmaster. Headmaster was a Hutu. I was not alone. It was a council. Like we had a group of a council, student council. We went to talk to the headmaster and to ask what's going on because they invaded the campus. Mm. And he was the one that invited them to wow. try to separate the Tutsis and the Hutu. And um, he really told me something that stayed with me up to today. He said, son, you're going to see what Jesus saw on the cross. Wow. I, I didn't I didn't get it. I was like, no, he can't be saying I would be crucified. For what? What did I have done? I went back, shaking my head, went back to report to the my class my classmates, and we had to find a way to get away from the school. We all, what do you think he, he meant by that? That you're gonna be sacrificed or or I think he knew that there would be killings. Mm -hmm. He knew that Tutsis would be killed. Uh, it was just, just a matter of time. Uh, that's what he said to me. It, it was the whole, uh, he directed it to my face. And to be honest with you, at that point, I was a national champion. Wow. I've done so many for the school. I, um, I put the school on the map. I won a national champion for the first time in history. The Kibimba High School never had any champion, but I was one three times. For, for running? For running, 400 and 800. Wow. And um, to me, I was like, these people would not touch me. I'm, I don't have anything I'm accused of. I'm a great student. I'm a great citizen. I always help them. They come to watch me. There's no way these people will attack me. So um, things got really bad. People attacked the school. And Tutsi student decided to flee. The, um, we decided to get away from the school because he didn't have a plan to protect us. We were trying to go to army um, camp. That was 26 miles. As trying to escape trying 26 to escape miles 26 away. miles. That was the only way. Yeah. And, um, you're, and you're the only runner, but that has to be seem like, oh, not impossible, but, but one of the toughest things ever. You're being pursued and wanting to be killed, and you're with your classmates. And I mean, I think it's so hard for people to actually put themselves in that scenario. 
Yeah, when you're in the danger, uh, you do what you can to survive. So at that point, I, I look around, there was a, some seventh grade, young kids, innocent kids, don't have anything. We all, we all didn't have anything to do with the killing of the president. But I could not run away and leave these kids behind. So we decided to corral everybody. And um, we are walking away. We are walking away together in, in peaceful thinking that they were not going to be attached us. They would not be able to attack us. We walked two kilometers. I was in front, right? I was in front. Everybody was like, here he is, here he is. So the headmaster told them that they need to capture me wow. first because if they don't, I will be able to reach the army before they can, you know, do or accomplish what they were trying to do, which was to kill the student and the teacher. They had a plan to kill teacher first, senior, junior, and so on. And so someone told me that's how I know. And um, as we are coming, somebody threw a, a spear in a group of uh, 200, 300 kids walking. Uh, and the war broke off. I ran away towards the plantation, coffee plantation, and I was chased at least 100 people with machete, with arrows, tell me to stop. If I don't stop, they're gonna kill me. With fear, I surrendered. And they told me, we are not going to touch you, son. The headmaster wants you, specific wants you. And I was like, man. Finally, when he said he was gonna crucify me, finally the time has arrived. I stayed calm. And as I was walking to where he was, where they had, they had a place to, um, it was a correction. It was a place to making sure that every kid who's going to the fire is a tutti. There's no mistake. That was, they have to make sure they're checking that. And so as we walk in, they were, you know, breaking tutti's legs. They're chopping hands, legs. Hmm. And I was very terrified to do any stupid, to try to move because I was guided by people both sides. And I was in the area that I, I had no clue uh, who's uh, going to save me, who's going to kill me. And stay calm, went by where the headmaster was, and he looked in my eyes, he said, where were you going? I couldn't explain. And he said again, where were you going, stupid? Um, and I opened my mouth and said, I was going to the army because it was not safe. And he said, lock him up in, uh, in the room. At the same time, there was like noises. Uh, they started beating people, special girls. Um, and then they locked him in the building. Outside, it got so bad. People were screaming. People were yelling. And finally, the mob said, we need Gilbert. We have to kill him. We have to take him like everyone else. And he said, no, I have a special torture for him. They said, no. Finally, they come and got me. And so they start torturing us. First, they would take out our clothes. Um, and then we were, ro we were roped together in a death march, walking to a place that are going to burn everybody alive. I was pulling 11 people to my left, and 11 people to my right. There was a rope go behind my back, and so they put him in the middle. 
the whole idea was if trying to escape, there's no way I'm going to be able to pull 11 people to my left, to my right. And um, I started thinking about those fun days back home. I don't have a chance to to say goodbye to my family. I'm going to be burned alive. That's that's what I, what's going on in my mind. But all the time, I had a voice telling me that I would be all right. But I didn't tell. I didn't know what the voice was. Uh, we walked together again. It was. It started pouring. It started pouring so bad, and some of the people were watching out. They they gave up, but some would didn't give up. There was one mile to the chamber, a place that's gonna burn everyone. And uh, as we're getting closer to to the the house, it was a chamber that they created to burn everybody alive. It was surrounded by thousand people coming to watch. Mostly moms couldn't do anything. They're watching from from afar. And um, before you can get inside the building, they'll make sure they hit on the neck. Hmm. So you're kind of paralyzed. What saved me was I was with these kids who was probably two, more than 200 pounds and 6'3", six, 6'4". Six, his dad was a general. He refused to get in the fire. And he thought his dad would come and rescue him. Well, they chopped him in front of me. For the first time, to see someone got killed by a machete, it really scared me. I forced myself to jump inside the building. And as, as soon as I get inside the building, the lit building, the building on fire. What they would do is they spray gasoline and then lit, uh, throw like a match, and then we, it will lit the whole building. I witness my friends dying one by one, and I was waiting for my turn. After eight hours, I couldn't take it. I thought about my life. I thought about my family. I thought about how my family would be able to come and identify a piece of Gilbert. You know, I was brought up as a Catholic. The school I was was a Protestant, uh, actually a Quaker school. And something clicked that I need to ask forgiveness. Start accusing myself. Started looking a week, a month, leading to this incident, what I was doing. Started assessing myself. I was not going to church. When the kids would go to church, I would go play tennis. I would go play volleyball. Then I had to ask forgiveness because I sinned. That's why I ended up in the building. Um, I said, God, please forgive me. I have so many sins, but please forgive me. At that moment, I came up to ideas. I took a dead body. Someone uh, that I thought was dead, this girl that I know, I used her to break the window. And as soon as I broke the window, there was a bars. I just need to knock one in the middle so I can, my body can go through. And it was hot because what I did was they bought those 18-wheeler tire, and that's been, they've been burning, sending fumes a uh, whole night. And so they, because it was next to the bar, the bar was red. 
So I just be able to knock it using the dead body and I threw the body outside. As soon as I threw the body outside, I was worried, but if I tried to go out, they would kill me with machete on spears. But I went anywhere. The voice was telling me that I'll be all right. I grabbed the bar. I was like, if they cut my leg, my family would be able to see it, uh, identify my facial. Because in the fire, watching the people dying, burning, it was the worst thing in my life. You know, they all look the same. That's how I got the idea. And as soon as I landed outside, they didn't see me. Up to today, this is a miracle. This is a miracle to be alive and to be here. Then I ran. As I was running, it was very difficult because as you can see, my legs, I lost 30% of my body. My back is the same way. My arm is the same way. I lost 30% because I was trying to cover. The fire was coming from the top. I was trying to cover my, uh, my face. Yeah, I was going to, I was going to ask like how you were in the building that was burning for, for eight hours. hours, eight hours. Yeah, more than that. Yeah. Wow. And I, I just noticed, um, your burns when they, they pointed them out, but that is just, I mean, even thinking about having to survive in the smoke for eight hours. I mean, that, that seems like a miracle also. Yes. Well, what happened was I did a lot of things. That's why if you can do sports and I can talk about sports because that you live this. Um, doing sports help, especially young. I was on the drumming team, which was my upper body was strong. I was also always doing a push up, pull up. I was strong. So what happened in that fire besides running, I was able to because the fire was coming from the top, I would have a body at the top of me. So uh, my back, which is really, really bad, a whole piece of uh, uh, wood collided on my back. I mean, it's like, ooh, it, it burns so bad. That's how I jump, actually. And uh, I was trying to cover my face. I don't know what I got the idea to cover my face. Um, but um, um, I landed on the outside again. Didn't see me. And I ran. It was very hard to move. It was very hard to put one leg in front of the other. But I was determined to survive. I was determined to leave. Because I did not want the horrible massacre or the terrible people to take away my life. There was a hospital one mile away from where they burn us. It took me two hours, close to two hours, to walk. I was walking to the plantation, of coffee plantation, and in fact, in a halfway, because I was trying to avoid, I was trying to avoid where people go through a path. I was trying to use a woods, and I would pause, the trees would move, I think it was people. And then I, it take a while to get there. Anyway, I end up in the midst of uh, a family, of a Hutu family. And what happened is they were worried about the soldiers would come to revenge or try to figure out who trying to attack the student. So the men were at the center, Kibimba, Ibubu, which is the center where we were burned. They took the family, the kids and the wife, out of the house, and I landed them, I landed in that group. 
this is, they were guiding by a few men. Like, here we go. Here he is. Gilbert is coming. They knew I was because I was a well known in the village. Um, so they're like, why are you here, Gilbert? And lied for the first time in my life. I lied. I said, hey, you have no idea. There was a misunderstanding. I am a Hutu because my dad is a Hutu. My mom is a Tutsi. So they let me go. There was a miscommunication, so they let me go. There was no way I would explain how the burns and everything. I have to lie. I, it was bad timing because the guy who was guiding the, the house, the, the burning chamber, showed up. He's like, no, 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 no. He escaped us. We have to crucify him. The man, the man went to, uh, the man went to get wood so they can come and crucify me. They're like, no, we have to kill him because he ran away from us. This woman said, no, 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 guys, we cannot kill this man. He told you he's a Hutu. Why don't believe him? And he's like, no. So they argued, they argued, and then finally the man went to get a woods. They left me with the women. This woman, she gave me a water and that um, and a jacket, but there was no place to put it. It was so burned everywhere. And she gave me a water. I didn't drink the water. I thought it was a poison. Um, and but she gave me something. She told me, son, before they get come back, go go through here. There is a bunch of girls in the hospital. They are injured. Go find them. She gave me a chance to escape. She gave me a chance to escape where the house, the husband, the husbands were out there looking for a way to crucify me. Then, uh, as I'm walking towards the hospital, every everywhere you turn was blocked. Um, the pastor told me to use it was guided, right? I saw a man. Uh, guided it far away. I was able to ditch them and I ran. I made to the hospital, but he spotted me, you know, using the lights. Uh, he spotted me, but because I was naked, uh, he decided not to pursue me. He thought I was a devil, so he gave up. Then I reached out the girls. Um, but before I reached out the girls, I was, uh, you know, I hid in the bathroom, uh, maternity room, in the bathroom for maternity. When I, and, and so... I waited for 5, uh, 5 a.m. 5 a.m., I heard soldiers. Actually, it was an exchange of uh, um, guns. They were shooting each other. And uh, I didn't know if I get out, you know, who if it was a bad guy or a good guy. But I was the soldiers. They heard what happened. They're coming to rescue the student. And um, in fact, one of the soldiers uh, started asking, and I could hear from afar. Does anyone know what happened to the athletes? Anyone knows Gilbert? They said, yeah, we do. He was the first person, and he's dead. They said he was dead, but I was hidden right there in the maternity room. Um, and as soon as I heard they were asking me, and they were also going through doors, so I got up, got out the window, and they, this guy, he was an athlete also, um, but in the army, he saw me and there's no place to hug me. He threw his gun down. He's trying to uh, grab me so I, I couldn't walk at that time. 
uh, trying to grab me to pull me uh, in. They, they bought a, um, the truck, the army truck, to transport the survivor. And, and uh, the bad guys, what I say, uh, I don't know who was shooting, shooting to the army. And so they put us in the room and it go f- kind of um, kick the enemy away away from us, but they were guiding by one. And a um, couple hours later, they come, they came and they put us in a RV, which is big truck for the, uh, you've probably seen it in Africa for mm-hmm. soldiers. And they would transport it to the hospital nearby um, the army because it was dangerous. They had to close the school. Um, and uh, while I was at the, at the army hospital, um, they also went in the building trying to find anybody who still breathing, half burned, half dead. There were a couple, a couple kids. They were able to get the in the fire. Half they, some of the some of those kids are still like not recovered yet. Uh, I lost thirty percent. They lost more. Hmm. And um, what is that like? Twenty nine years later. Yeah. Thirty years later, still. Still. Yeah. Yeah. It, see, as you can see, my scars are still. Um, anyway, uh, my parents learned that everyone who was at my school was dead, so they started doing the funeral ceremony. After seven days, seven days later, my brother came and got me and took me to a hospital nearby where I grew up. The incident, just to clarify, the incident, the torture, the fire, the burning, it happened my boarding school seven hours away which was um, horrible. But when I grew up, people remained peaceful. The soldiers were able to stop uh, to arrive before any incident. And while I was in the hospital, praying to God, trying to heal emotionally and physically, trying to understand how the people that are trying to kill me, they were my friends, they were my teacher. Imagine when you send the kids to a boarding school, the parents... It's the, it's the teacher, is the mm. headmaster. I was betrayed by my headmaster. Mm. So it was someone a, you you trusted, someone it, someone you probably looked up to. Correct, and um, it was really hard to move on. But I took the high road. I decided to forgive my enemy so I can move on. It was not easy. It was very hard because was that something. Was that something within a week or two, or was that years? Years, later? years, yeah. years. The first thing I did, it, uh, the first thing when I did it when I was in hospital, I received a letter. This is what a an invitation, a scholarship from Tulane University that was inviting me to run on a full ride. They didn't know what happened to me. It's just like communication was not like used today. Yeah, you send things to get there months and uh, months later. I'll receive that later in a hospital. Wow. That was a message of hope. That gave me a chance to do crazy stuff. So there was no communication here, and I could not stretch the leg uh, for three months. I could not sleep because every time I tried to sleep, you know, nightmares and mm. the fire. So um, just, just on that real quick, um, when you talk about nightmares and probably PTSD and trying to heal emotionally. You said something that 
that I thought you could either go back to or, or just to clarify or make an example of like, you said when you were walking through the forest or the trees and you're in the dark, like there was moments where you thought that was people that might be coming to kill you because this is right after the moment you don't know where they are. I mean, that, that right there is instant trauma, fear for your life. I mean, thinking that the trees are, are, could, could kill you. Right. And I mean, that's, that's something so many people can't, can't really imagine or fathom, uh, unless you've been through something like you've been through. Correct. What, where, where I was walking, uh, I knew where I was going, but I didn't know what the enemy, the danger. I mm. just escaped the horrible. Yeah. But I didn't know they came around trying to search for Gilbert. And uh, you've been in Africa, you understand the, uh, the plantation, especially in the five, around the three o'clock, four o'clock, the wind is blowing, you're like somebody's, you know, um, a tree will look like a someone because it was mm -hmm. dark. And, um, uh, but I was still, I was still having the fear from uh, escaping the fire. Yeah. And, and you were, getting um to get back to your story you were saying that it was a a message of hope while you're in the hospital you know waking up with nightmares having these burns on your leg and and how important was that to have have a moment of hope in the darkness you know it takes like someone to to believe in you uh it can be someone close or someone afar for me the hope was if there's someone out there believe I can do it. Maybe I can. Hmm. Uh, I didn't connect that. That letter was sent a long time ago. It was just like, there is a group out there, believe I can do it. I would do it. That gave me a chance to do what I could at that time to get back to normal. And one of the things that I struggled the most was um, it was trying to understand how in the world, you know, I, it, was a, it was a Christian school. How in, how in the word, where in the Bible that says you should kill? Children. Yeah. Where in... in I, I mean, I, anywhere, but, but yeah, that, I, that just hit me where it's like, it wasn't just army versus army or, or enemy versus enemy. It was like parents and teachers and headmasters against students. Yes. And the villages, the people from the villages, those are people also used to come to church with my school. And so you're like, these people used to come to church every day, and today they want to kill you. And I had to read the Bible myself, trying to understand. That was one of the things that initiative I, had, I did. I have to read and understand, and that's how I chose to forgive those people. And so what, what also that message of help that helped me, that letter, you know what? If I saw someone that believes in me, I'm going to make sure that I'm not that person I fail. I am going to make it. So I started doing the therapy. First of all, I could not communicate. Um, it was very strange. Things happened so fast. A friend of mine came to see me on a, in, on a bicycle in a hospital. And he was coming to check to see what that famous student, that famous student uh, happened uh, that got burned. Um, he came on a bicycle. I lied to him. I said, hey, man, his was, name is Renovat. I said, the doctor wants to talk to you, but leave your bicycle here. 
I jumped on his bicycle to stretch it out because I was like, I don't care if whatever happened. But that was the bet, that leap of faith just to jump on a bicycle because there was a nut that is connected here. I couldn't breathe. I could not mm. extend my leg. But from that day, there was a nasty, nasty blood that had been clogged for months. Um, but I, from that day, my friend, I was able to start walking and I started sleeping because I could not stretch the leg. And then that was a huge. Started doing therapy, and because I decided I am going to get back to running, whatever it takes, take a year, two years, three years, I am going. And uh, started doing therapy, and at the same time, kept reading uh, the the uh, the Bible, uh, surrounded with the good people. Eventually, I was able to start running. And running is my therapy. Hmm. It's my freedom. It helps me. It grounds me. It makes me a better person. It connects me to people like you. I have been everywhere because of running. And so I decided, let me focus on how to be the best I can be. Let me focus on how to go to the Olympics. Because when I was young, uh, I every word was... I'm going to the United States. I will run for NCAs in the United States. 1995, I went to World University uh, in Japan. It's like um, it's like all the colleges in the whole world uh, competing. It's like Olympic for student. It's amazing. I have a friend named Daniel that that wrestled there. So, uh, it, went there from Australia there, and yeah, yeah, and it was amazing. He went there for a year, I think, as well. Yeah. It was amazing, uh, incredible experience. And then 1996, I moved here to this country. Um, I came to college. I had a visa to become a student, also compete in Olympics. But I didn't have the standard. I didn't have the, uh, you know, they have A and B standard. I didn't have the time to, uh, to qualify, but I was closed. My country decided that for me to get better, I need to be in a safe place where I can train without worrying about people killing me, get killed during the practice. That's how I came here. Uh, I was able to carry the Olympic torch through <coughs> Birmingham, Alabama, which is, let me tell you, you probably heard that, you know, um, joy, but the way we express joy is different on individual. That moment, uh, I think a country from um, uh, not Sudan gave me the lit my my flight, and I was like, I'm running fast, like slow down, slow down. I could not slow down because the fire that has been burning me now, I have my in my hands. It was an incredible moment, incredible experience. Then the Olympics was uh, finished. After the Olympics, I didn't get a chance to run, uh, but I got a chance to watch my teammates. It was incredible. One of my teammates ended up winning a golden 5,000. And to be able to, um, to witness and be in this country, I decided that God wants something 
bigger than myself. I'm just going to keep searching. Went back, finished college. Uh, I moved away from Georgia to um, on a full scholarship to Abilene Christian University where I ran track and cross country. And why I was Abilene, you might ask, why in the world Abilene Christian instead of other big colleges? I'm glad I chose Abilene because Abilene was a very special place. It's a, it was a, I needed a place quiet where I can really focus on my, uh, my studies, not so much a distraction, and I also can de- learn how to discover myself. One thing that touched me at Abilene was 11 o'clock. Every day, there's no school. They stop everything, activity. It's in a chapel. You're required to go to chapel, to worship, to connect and sing. You, yeah, uh, I was like, man, this is amazing. We live in a world, everything is like moving, moving, moving. We go from here to here to here. We don't have a chance to decompress, pose, relax, meet your friends, your, your, friends, your classmates. It was an amazing experience. Fightfortheforgotten.org. You can go check out Fight for the Forgotten, the foundation that I started. It is my passion project. It is something that I love so much because of the people we get to help. We had to help the pygmy tribe who adopted me in help themselves. We say opportunity is greater than charity. Charity can be great, but opportunity is just always better. That's why we've drilled something like 80 water wells already, providing over 30,000 people clean water. We've started sustainable farms, bought back over 3,000 acres of land for the people who originally owned it, put it in their name. We built 32 homes, and now... We're about to start a health center, a school, and a marketplace. They're going to have a maternity ward, a pediatrics unit, and a dental suite. You can join the Fight for the Forgotten Fight Club at fightfortheforgotten.org. We would love, love, love to invite you on this journey to join this fight arm in arm with us. Our fight club, it's a monthly giving club. You can give $5 or more a month, and that empowers us to empower people. Thank you for being on this journey with us. I invite you to come along for the ride. It's been absolutely epic, putting love and compassion in action and fighting for people. Fightfortheforgotten.org. Join our fight club. Real fast on that. There was, uh, during some of my time in Africa, well drilling, and, uh, you know, I came from here in this culture, and we have goals or targets or or timelines, you know, let's get this done and uh, let's keep going, going, going. And I remember um, them telling me, sit down, eat, rest, talk, like let's have community. And I was like, okay. And one day, one of the guys on our team who I absolutely love, he goes, you know what's different about you guys from America and us from Africa? And I said, what? He goes, you, you Americans, you Westerners, you, you all have the watches, but us in Africa, we, we're the ones with the time. <laughs> you have the watches, we have the time. We have the time to spend with each other, to communicate, to, to eat with each other, to, to talk, to see each other. And I was like, wow. And so um, that helped me slow down. That helped me think about not just getting things done, but, you know, 
having deep relationships, deeper relationships. And so I think that's kind of one of the things you were saying in that moment where everything stops, we come together. Yeah. Um, yeah. Even a pause, I see these like as a runner, sometimes I'd be running fast on a trail and then you see someone you haven't seen in years and I pause, I stop and say hi to them. And sometimes they don't understand. It's like someone will come to you when you are fighting or practicing, you're practicing and someone come, you haven't seen these friends for months or years and you pause, like let's pause for a moment, I can go on. But to acknowledge this person, it's, it goes a long way. It's huge. Yeah. It's huge. So um, after I graduated from Abilene Christian, and before I move on to Abilene Christian, uh, where I was at ACU, something really cool happened. I won an award uh, being the most courageous student of the year. Hmm. So I won a national in 800. Indoor was uh, in Indiana. Um, and uh, when you take a victory lap, people always watching. There's a camera everywhere. There's, and they notice that I have a lot of scars. And before I know it, and they started like digging and they asking my coach what's the story behind this kid. And that's how they found out that I have an incredible story. And that year, I was voted the most courageous student of the year as an award. I have to go to meet Bill Clinton. Uh, let me tell you how cool it was. Yeah, please. <laughs> it was amazing because even the president of Burundi has not been received by the president of the United States <laughs> in a White House. I was like, whoa, this is cool. The first Burundian to be received by Bill Clinton. And he's cool, too. And, um, uh, and then they're like, that's not enough. You are going to meet the athletes of the century. And Muhammad Ali. Yeah. I'm like, oh my Lord. When I was a child, <laughs> dreaming to be Muhammad Ali. That's incredible. And so um, my, I went to meet Muhammad Ali in Disney, Orlando. He was given the athlete of the century, and I was the most courageous student of the year, which was powerful. I don't know who vote, but it was powerful for me. And uh, we're sitting on the same table. They had a crew, a team to go meet Muhammad Ali, and he had this booklet that he asked me to sign. Oh, and then I asked, I have one he signed for me, I should have brought today. It was an incredible experience, I could not believe. And so um, then it was a time after I came back, uh, meet uh, Muhammad Ali, I think it was in February, I had to go back and finish my studies and, and um, graduated and moved here to Austin. And I met incredible people that connect me uh, to, to you. And that's how I learned what you're doing. And being in Austin has been an amazing, amazing city, amazing community that really support each other. Uh, especially for me, I have a lot of to thank for, for uh, uh, I have a lot of to thank because the work that we do, it's because of the people of Austin. I started with the help of uh, runners. I helped um, Paul and Pew. We were running 22 miles. And Paul was coming from Ethiopia to build um, habitat for, t for humanity. And he said, son, you can do this for your country. I didn't know what it was. Mm. Um, and 
we started meeting and before we know it, started a charity called the Gazeta Foundation. And only the mission is to provide clean water to people without any specific um, tribe. And then up to today, we have given more than 100,000 are getting clean water close oh. to home. Um, and uh, I owe this to Austin community. Some of the impact of the water, people having a water close to home, is children, they don't have to spend hours in fetching water. They go to school, become educated, and focus on the studies. Women are the ones who spend hours fetching water. Hmm. Uh, those uh, 25, 50 pounds on top of their head, their heads, get, it gets, it gets, um, it can be heavy. It can yeah. be damaging in the body. So, um, school. To give you a story, I walk six. I walk around six miles to school, and uh, between my house and school, there was no fountain. There was no water. But for um, to be able to provide clean water to those villages. Right now, there's almost six taps. Kids can drink along the way. Mm-hmm. The school has water. The churches have water. The hospital have water. So what we do is... Is that the same walk you used to do? Yeah. And now there's... Six. I mean, yes. That's, a, that's amazing. There's a six. That's incredible. Where you used to live and grew up and had to do that same exact walk with no water. With no water. Now there's six stopping points along the way. Yes. Where they can have access to clean water the entire journey. Yes. And at school, at the school, they have water. We didn't have yeah. water. When you're thirsty, you ask a permission, can I go drink water? It was a... Uh, stream? Yes, yeah, stream. Yeah. It was a stream and like a, a, a mile. Not a clean stream. And oftentimes, I would suspect your your container for water was just a lot of times the children, it's whatever they can find. It Correct. It can be a, a vegetable oil bottle or or a motor oil bottle or or whatever it is. I've 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 seen children have paint cans and uh, leftover, whatever it is. I mean, if they have a bottle or a cup, things like that. But when they have to collect for a full day at school, instead of every time they want to drink, they might get a bigger container to go fill up during a water break. And man, to have clean water at school, you know, the water makes it possible for them to go to school, their moms to be able to go, go get a job and have a double income uh, home if they would like. And it just, it cha- water changes everything. That's right. One, one story I'd like to tell you is before we provide water, there's a, these villages that there was uh, one child was dying a month mm. because of the water they're drinking was dirty and contaminated. This is the water they shared with animals. We were able to save that whole village. Now everybody get clean water. Um, one thing that I like, the similarity between what you do and what uh, we are doing is the second project that we did was to give water to pygmies. Uh, pygmies are, as you know, uh, back in the day, they didn't go to school. They were isolated from the society. And uh, so they didn't have enough or income to be able to afford 
some of the privileges that we all have. School fees or school uniforms or just even daily food. That's right, because yeah. they didn't have even land yeah. uh, to begin with. And so what we did was to provide a clean water uh, to that village. And I went 2011 just to see the family myself, to see the transformation. It was mind-blowing. Uh, some of the, the, the stories were... They live on, they make clay, out of clay, they, they make pots, and those pots are, are for to sell to, you know, they go to houses so they can exchange with food. And uh, now the production, because the water is very close, mm. they don't have to, the clay is coming, the clay has to be, you know, kind of um, wet. Yeah. So they have to, they used to go get a clay from afar. Now it's closed. Everything is closed by. So production has to get better. And uh, it's a such cool experience. Now they're able to send the kids to school. It's a transformation of a whole village. Yeah, that's amazing. So that was in 2011? That's when I went back. Yeah. yeah. That's when I went back. Yes. For the first time? No, no, I went back with my kids. That was okay. the first time to go with my kids and so that they can see and experience. It was amazing. Yeah. And then that's, that's really near and dear to my heart because I was, uh, basically a, I was adopted into the Mabuti and the FA Pygmy tribe and, um, in Congo and DRC when I lived there. And now we work with the Batwa Pygmy people in Uganda. And I know that that's the same lineage or same family and tribe as, uh, the Pygmies in Burundi. Correct. And, um, and I think, I, th I wonder if on, the genocide part of things, because I think everyone knows about the Rwandan genocide, a million people in a hundred days. I think something unknown about that in Rwanda is of the million people that, that perished or died. Um, close to a hundred thousand of those were, were from the, the Batwa Pygmy people in Rwanda and their, their people group was almost wiped extinct, out. almost wiped out. And so for you, how, I just wonder if when you were in the hospital, if, and, and you knew that there was, there was that hope or even when you were in the school and, uh, or the building and you knew you needed to, to get out and escape, if there was that, you said that voice inside of you, if, it, if, if there was just this longing or knowing or belief that your story, like you had to get out so that you could share this story so that it wouldn't be forgotten. And yeah, go ahead. No, I was going to say both. Um, I think that the, the more I look back, trying to understand what that voice was, um, I think there was a message behind the voice. The message kept me alive Gave me a hope to, to survive, but also was to be the voice for others. Mm. You know, um, once I escape and I look around, why in the world? How did I? Sometimes it's hard to comprehend. Mm. How did I get out that building? I went back trying to look at the the window that I brought the, the bar that I broke, and I looked trying to retrace what I went through. I mean, it was unbelievable. 
It was just God. Even if you're not a believer, man, he was with me. Because it was very hard. It was not because I was the strongest, the fastest man. No, it was because he was with me. Give me another chance to be the voice for others. So every time that I do something for someone, it's a huge accomplishment. Whether I'm coaching someone to be a better runner, run a first 5K, run a marathon, qualify for Boston, kids winning a state, place in where, it's always kind of rewarding to me. Um, I feel like that I'm, uh, my mission has been accomplished. And to provide the water for the pygmies, I'm privileged tribe nobody thinks of nobody will come to rescue them it just uh it's just a huge blessing and that's the that's the message and that's the and that's the um to be the voice for those who can't don't have a voice yeah voice so, for the voiceless yes wow. so for my understanding i've never been to burundi i've i've been right by it uh, uh in rwanda and um and i think Congo. Uh, Congo too, but I think also Tanzania or no, is that? Yeah. It's close. And so, um, I, I've never interacted with the, the, the pygmy people there, but it seems like their, their struggle or their plight is, is similar being, and I'm sure you could speak to this too, where, I mean, they're the, a lot of anthropologists think they're the first people of Africa, like the oldest tribe or, the first citizens of their, their country, but oftentimes in the eight or nine African nations that they're in, they have no land ownership, even though they're the first citizens or, or the original people group, and then no way to, to farm. And they're also hunter gatherers and, uh, semi nomadic at least and move around. So, so I guess what I'm saying is you can speak to, to their plight also, but I also think it's just admirable that, you came in and did something for people that, that not a lot of people do anything for, you know, kind of the underdogs and decided to take action. Yeah, it was a huge accomplishment because, uh, uh, as you said, it's true. It's similar across the, the, this, the, this, the Africa. The pygmy in Uganda, the same as in the Congo. Uh, it's, it's very sad, but it's true. For me, I grew up with the whole see what they went through. And I, once I got a chance, because we have a submission, people submit what we should do the water. Oh, great. Yeah. When I saw that on a list, I recommended it to the board. This is what we should do because this is, would be powerful. This is great. This is beyond us. This is beyond any tribes because... Nobody thinks about these people. And sure enough, it was a great thing to do for this community. Uh, it was do also, I knew uh, Didas, that's his name, that I grew up with, we were friends. But watch him struggle, trying to lead his, his tribe. And if we can provide something for this village to uplift a little bit, give them a kind of like a sense of hope that if we can give the water, reduce the distance they have to go to collect clay so they can make clay at home, improve the lifestyle, transform this village. That was our goal. Yeah. And what did you say his name was? 
Didas. Didas. Yeah. And he's from the Pygmy tribe? Yes. And you did you grow up around him or you just met him? You oh, we, I grew up around him. Yeah. We're kind of the same, same age. And Great. That, yeah. Awesome. What? So for context, for people that don't know, I, I've seen a lot of disc- discrimination or, 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 or hatred or racism, however you would, you would say it. And what did you happen to see that growing up or, or hear the things people would, would say? And, and what was that? Yeah, I think I, I saw it. I went to their home. I mean, if you you see their their home, the hut. The hut. Yeah, it was uh, it was very hard to see. Um, and it was like a room like this. So you have six people live in that house, and they can't even afford the top. It is they can't afford the door. It's a piece of you know piece of uh, cloth that is. It was just hard. And uh, and some, they were happy though. They were happy. Yeah. That's the thing. They were happy, but for us to to provide water, that was a, uh, that was to kind of give them uh, a kind of a lift. If yeah. we can do this, you can do uh, the next. Um, I saw it when I was young. When we saw the pygmies, because they didn't have a clo- some of them didn't have a clothes. Boy, teenager would naked. And with girls, like it's just like laughing. Um, even boys laughing at the other kids because they couldn't afford uh, clothes. So and a form of bullying, I guess. Correct. Yeah, yeah. let's put that way. Uh, and then were they living in twig and leaf huts, like mm-hmm. the huts? Yeah. Yes. Uh, see, you said they're so happy. That was that was one of my happiest times of my life. Was living in the the twig and leaf huts. That's where I lived you for a, a full year. Yeah. Dirt was my bed, the fire was my blanket, and uh, no door. Uh, I would just have to crawl crawl in because the huts are only about four or five foot tall. Um, I'll have to send you a, a picture, show you a I picture. Need but that. Yeah. yeah, I lived there for a full year that way and built up over two years um, in, in total living in the huts. And for me, you, we can go back to joy because um, that's a, a, a mission of yours or a vision. And I think that it's so unique. Sometimes the people with quote unquote, the, the least, um, also might have the most when it comes to joy, they might not have all the stuff and the material goods and, um, the technology or the car, the fancy home and the vacations, but they have joy sometimes much more than people in the West. What, why do you think that is? Uh, it's hard. It's hard to to explain. But if you grew up in Africa, uh, I grew up in Africa, and I see the life that I lived in Africa and here. People don't have not as much, even close to what West have. But people are happy. The society they live in, they're comfortable. They're happy to to each other. They celebrate one another. A little thing they get, they share. Here, not so much. Uh, I just want to tell you a, a quick story. I, yes, brought, I brought my mom here, all right? Uh, my oldest daughter was two years. And I was like, my mother's going to stay here. It's going to help us. Uh, she came here, didn't like it. Number one, I lived in an apartment where my neighbor, we didn't know each other. Didn't have, they didn't say hi to me. And it's an apartment. You know what? If you're trying to stay high, you, you walk, or you, I don't know. 
my mother, she decided, I'm not going to live here. I'm going back to Burundi. Because you know what? Here, people don't even say hi to each other. Uh, I can't live here. There was a sub frustration, couldn't speak the language with a uh, communicator of my daughter because she didn't want to learn English. And she left. She's like, no, I can't live here. People always moving, always uh, always gone. And I tried to do my best. But around what she saw was people moving, going fast, always moving. And uh, it, it started there. We always in the move. We don't pose. We don't slow down. We don't enjoy ourselves. I mean, if I tell you how we celebrate New Year, you will not believe it. New Year, my family, our tradition was not Christmas, New Year. Everyone would come, wherever you might be working, you would come home and we would celebrate as a family, starting with food. We would eat together. There would be a word, words, like speeches from our grandparents, from our leaders, telling us, wish us good luck. And at the end, we'd be dancing. We'd be moving out uh, house to house. And that's how you create a family, a family that loves each other, that celebrates each other, that lives together. Um, I miss that. And so that's the way it is. And that's how it is in Africa. Yeah. If, uh, if some, sometimes Amy and I throw dance parties at the house. We'll invite ju- me. Just, ju- yeah, invite you? Okay, yeah. I was going to say, <laughs> if you have one, invite me too. And we just, uh, uh, that's one of the things I miss, miss most about there is like, the, the pygmy people at least say there's three things you can't take away from them. It's the forest, the fire, and then these two go together. It's the singing and dancing. And they would do it almost every day, every day at night as the sun was setting around the fire and just the joy that came from that. And what do you think, what do you think the difference between happiness and joy is? Sometimes I think people are pursuing, even in, in America, right, the pursuit of happiness, and sometimes I think happiness can 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 fade sometimes because you might get happy getting a new car, but then all of a sudden a year goes by and it's not new enough. It doesn't have the new car smell. And so you need a new one or something else. And not all people, but, but I think that's a trap. And what do you think brings you joy? And you can maybe speak to the audience, the listeners about how can they they've shift from temporary happiness to to something more fulfilling thank you that, i think that's how i was gonna explain i'm trying to explain the difference between happiness and joy joy is everlasting it's a long uh something you live with so something nobody can take away uh from you happiness comes and go um but for me i chose to live with joy but it didn't, it didn't, I didn't always have joy, though. You know, if you think about my life, there was, um, I ran to help my family chasing cows. Then there was a time that I really ran for my life. College, running a college, um, it's a stressful. You have a mission. Coaches tells you you have to run a certain time. You have to... You have to uh, score for the team. That's how you're going to earn your scholarship. And, and it's, you know, pressure. After I got, out, I got out of those, I decided, you know what? Life is too short. I'm going to enjoy 
the journey. Mm. Every step I take is a blessing. I'm a blessing to be alive. How many people out there cannot run mm. due to a lot of things? So I decided to, to do things that bring me joy. Uh, one is, you know, the running. When I run, I think about every step I take is a blessing. It's, it, it gives me a, a sense of purpose to be alive, to be uh, to make a difference, to do uh, great things. When I'm running, I think about helping others. I think about how the best I can be. Instead of, uh, I don't like to run with music. People go like, ah, run with music, it helps me. I don't. When it comes to music, just for dancing. Yeah. <laughs> I, I don't run with the music to help me, calm me. Um, I focus on what's going on around me. Um, I enjoy the nature. The trees, I can stop and pause. That's what running joy, running with joy. But also running in the metaphor of we live in a, um, we live in a world with pressure. You know, uh, I, can't, I usually take running. Uh, it's a life we live, right? You, you, you take the comparison with running, the metaphor of running a, a, a marathon, it's a life. When you're training for the marathon, you go through tribulation. You go, you know, it, it can be painful, it can be relaxed, it can be uh, easy or hard, but I choose to run with joy. So I can have, I can be happy, I can be joyful instead of always enjoy every moment. Every moment becomes like uh, uh, joyful. So, do you think that being joyful comes from, at least partly, comes from being grateful? Uh, maybe. Maybe I was just thinking of that because, because you were saying how many people can't run, and also thinking about how close you were to never being able to run again, with the burns and your injuries and. All that. And so now with every step, it's a gift, you know, it's, uh, so I just thought of that where it's like, man, I think what I'm getting from that is, um, you know, to be more joyful, be more grateful. Yeah. It takes, it takes stage. It takes stage to, to be able to be able to run with joy. Uh, you know, you have to, it has to come from your experiences mm. or something that happened to you. And that's something we're born with, you know, um, to be able to be comfortable and be consistent and be keep running with that joy. Um, it's it takes it takes time. It also takes like you must have gone something that take you to that place. Yeah, I I so I love I love a, a I, th I think it's a Swahili proverb, and it says if you think you're too small to make a difference, try to sleep in a closed room with a mosquito. <laughs> and and I, I love that one because, well, I've had malaria three times and, oh and, and it almost killed me the first time. And then I had cerebral malaria. Oh and gosh. so thinking about, thinking about how small a mosquito is and it's not even a gram in weight and I'm 260 pounds fighter. I fought guys six foot ten and and won in the first round, and a mosquito kicked my butt more than any man ever has, 
And so if that mosquito can make that big of a difference in my life, like how much more of a difference can Amy or can you make in the lives of others? And just thinking of that, that quote and thinking about you starting, um, your foundations and the gazelle foundation, um, what has that meant to you and where, where would, did that begin where you said you met an athlete that said you could do this for your country and how did that all develop where you're like, you know what, the, this gift that's been given to me, I'm going to give this gift to others. Yeah, that's a, that's a amazing, awesome question because I've been lucky and blessed to be surrounded with incredible people, people have a passion uh, about making a difference. And so when we started the Gazelle Foundation, we had two missions, which was, one was to give here um, unprivileged children or communities. And the other- That's great. Yeah. That's great. (laughs) And then the other one was to help where I grew up in Burundi because I call myself Austinite. Mm. Uh, and I have roots in Africa. And eventually we dropped the, uh, the local and we focused on providing clean water to the villages of Burundi. And man, it's been rewarding to see the transformation. Over 100,000 people. Yes. Wow. Yeah. And we, something special about the village, we are... Um, Burundi is divided in provinces, and provinces are divided in a count, county, which is commune. We are done one commune, a commune that I grew up, uh, where I grew up, the whole commune, everyone has clean water. Every person. Every person. Where you grew up. Yes. That's, they have in, that's clean amazing. Water. Wow. Clean water. That's incredible. And uh, the way we do it is, for those listeners, it's not. Um, and I hope all the listeners will go check out your website. And if they are prompted, I hope that they can give whatever they can give to your foundation. If it's $5 or if it's a monthly donation, or if it's just, uh, if, if you are more blessed where you can give a bigger gift than that, please do uh, to the Gazelle Foundation. But but you're seeing yeah. the difference of what you do. I w- yeah. So we've done the math. It takes $25 to $30 to change a life for, for someone for life. Wow. You, you know it. You've been to Africa. You've been, if you give a pygmy $30, that's huge. And so um, for us, it's not a well. We do projects. Burundi is a mountain. It's, it has a lot of mountains. We correct uh, water at the kind of like a, and we transport water using the pipes buried under and we target hospitals, uh, a churches, school, uh, a, like a village that has many people. And then we keep going, uh, making sure to reduce the distance a family has to travel to get water from four miles mm. to one lap along the track. Wow. And um, it's been rewarding to see uh, again, the transformation of villages. Not only we we provide water, we also provide jobs for the people working on on uh, on the projects. On the projects, that's yes. so great. Yes. 
That's awesome. I think that's so important. And so are you saying that the water projects, they, they vary like water wells or spring boxes or rain collection or, um, or it's piped water? It's piped water. Piped water. Okay. It's piped water. So what we do is we have engineers on the ground that they, their job is to um, study in the water how much how much water will be going to certain neighborhood mm. um so a project might last seven kilometers like uh, almost over four miles or two or three miles so it depends yeah and um and what we do there is a source and our source we capture and collect the water mm-hmm. in a tank that tank is treated and what when it's treated we're using the pipe we distribute it to um Different neighborhoods. Different water points, yeah. Yes. That's great. And you're saying at, at, at schools and churches and hospitals because that's, that's where the people are. Yeah. And making sure that the higher populated areas uh, are all served and then go from there. Um, I really love that. And, and how important – so kind of our operating model for, for Fight for the Forgotten, we've kind of had at least internal dialogue, and I'll, I'll share it with others, where we say – opportunity is greater than charity. And I, I don't mean that in a negative way. Charity can be great, but opportunities always better. And I think from the West, a lot of, a lot of NGOs or nonprofits have, haven't invited the local people in to be part of the solution to their local problem. And, um, I think the statistic is there's over 230,000 broken water wells in Africa right now, which is billions of wasted charitable dollars because, because it wasn't um, a local-led mission where they're equipped with the tools or educated with the knowledge or empowered for themselves to be the change in their own community. And so when you said you're em- employing people to do the work on the projects – how how important is that, and how can you put that into a context for someone here um, to let them know that's that's a really that's that's vital. That is the lifeblood of of the work. Correct. Um, one thing I also like to add to that, and I get to that in a minute, is uh, before we do any projects, first we have engineers on the ground that meet local leaders. Yeah, explain what we're doing. Uh, have member of the community kind of uh, have a say. Yeah. And we tell them, this is a project we're doing. This is going to help this community. This is going to employ a certain number of people. And um, it worked. And it's working up to today. During the project itself, uh, they work as a team. There's a team digging. There's a team building fountain. There's a team laying the uh, the, pipe. uh, the pipes. Yeah. And over the years, everybody feels like I am a part of mm. owner of this project. I would protect this. Mm-hmm. Nothing is going to happen. I would protect from enemies. This is the water that comes to where needed. Now we're going to uh, take care of this water. Tell you a story the first time. The first time, uh, we we were like, we're going to help this village. Guess what? It didn't work out 
because ev- give it away. Yeah, yeah, they would explain. Oh, the West is coming. The United States is coming here. They don't. They don't even know uh, who's coming to help. Uh, it was just like everybody's stealing, cheating, lying, and we have to figure out ways to make sure that people are part of the solution. And then when the project is done, instead of the villages coming back to us said, "Hey, something a pipe is broken. Uh, you need to come and fix it." What we do is we hand over. There's a handover celebration. We are done. This is the water. It's given, you know, X number of people. This is yours. So they figure out a way to to maintain mm-hmm. and taking care of the water. So never come back to to us. And then we move on. That's how it's so sustainable. Yeah, I love that. That's that's a key crucial part because in my first water well drilling experience. I had, I had been trained on how to drill wells here. Uh, I went to live there for the year. And the first project we did was in between a uh, high school and a, a, a middle school or, or basically primary and secondary school. And um, we gave it away. And uh, there was no local contribution. There was no local buy-in. Uh, we were using interns from the local community that I was training. But the water well was basically there's a dispute between the the school students and because the middle schoolers or um secondary school was they were they were never allowed to drink from like the high schoolers water and so when the high schoolers started coming closer to them they go this isn't this isn't uh your water well it's our water well go drink from yours type thing which theirs was kind of dirty and broken and older and so anyways out of meanness, some of the older kids broke it. And whenever I came and saw it, they were like, hey, come fix it. You know, the parents were, hey, come fix the well. And I went and looked, and I'm like, how did this happen? You know, it was broken out of meanness. And so I talked with some of the local communities and a, a guy that was uh, the dean of the School of Community Development that I was working with and the university there. And he goes, you just gave it away. Like, they're not going to protect it. They're not going to take ownership of it. They're not going to be proud of it. You didn't give them an opportunity to have dignity um, and there was no local contribution or buy-in. So I said, what do I do? And he goes, make them fix it, make them pay for it. And I go, oh, but, but, but we have the charitable giving. How do we make them pay for it? It was a smaller fix. It was about a hundred dollars to fix the pump and a little bit of the pipe and couplings. And so we did that. And then all of a sudden everything changed where there was a small local contribution to where now they put a fence around it. They had a schedule of when when they would open it, which was like six or seven times a day. So it was open for hours a day. And then they were cleaning it. And this was a learning experience. It was our first one. But after that, whenever our, our drillers, our, well, uh, our team comes in, they are helping provide food for the, the team. They're helping do the day labor. They're helping bring in the tools. Uh, they're maybe providing uh, shelter or, or lodging so that they can sleep, eat. Um, and they might do a local contribution, but then there's a little committee or a little board with like a treasurer and things that they put a little bit aside to where if there's maintenance or repair or whatever, that then there's the local relationship. And I think the only reason I say that is because um, I think you're doing it right. And I had to learn the hard way or from experience the first time. And then I, I think it's something that's a blind spot to people in the West thinking, oh, you're doing something good. But whenever you come into a community and you you put the local community, if we think about sports, 
you put them on the sidelines. Uh, they're not involved in the game or, uh, or you put them in the, the, the bleachers and say, watch us do the work. Um, and you don't invite them in on it. Um, I think that's a, a a mistake, you know? Yeah. So I, I love that. You, you said you got an award for being the most courageous. How can you share with someone that might be listening right now who might feel like they are in a season of their darkest time? Maybe they've gone through tragedy. Maybe it's depression. Maybe it's financial loss or job loss or something with their children. Um, Maybe it's sickness and, and they're just in a tough spot right now. What do you think it takes to rise up, take courage and overcome? Oh man, I wish I, I wish I had a you know like straight answer. That's not an easy question, uh, but I would do my best uh, using what helped me the most. One of the things that helped me the most was to um, was to forgive. Hmm. I, in order for for me to move on my life, it was it was to let it go. You cannot live a life full of joy happiness if your heart is full of hate and anger you gotta let it go it helped me to move on uh it was it was also very difficult to move on because i kept seeing happening over and over Mm. when i was in the hospital people would come hidden machetes in the jacket the, the coat and then they go to church at the end of the day, you hear people uh, were killed in a certain village, and you saw a bunch of people coming to church. And you're like, how in the world these people are faking? I stopped going to church personally because what I saw was uh, hypocrites of people. And then I was like, at the end of the day, you know what? They can do whatever they want to do. It's not for me to judge. I need to clear my head. I need to focus myself to move on. I can't be the justice will take care of me. That's not my business to be worried about that. The justice one day will be served. So I had to do things for to me to clear my head. And one of the things was running. You know, running grounds me. Running helps me. It doesn't have to be a running. You got to find something that you're passionate about. And set a time for it. I have the discipline, that's also the discipline, to run every single day. Nobody asks me. I'm not training for anything, but I know it's good for mental health. I know that helps me. Not only me, it clears my head, but also along the way, I'm able to enjoy the nature. I'm able to enjoy people. And so whatever you're doing, find something you're passionate about. And I know you do. Uh whether it's running, whether it's basketball, whether it's, now we have um, uh, racquetball. Uh, there's a new game in pickleball? town. Pickleball? Pickleball, pickleball. pickleball. Yeah. <laughs> I haven't played, actually. I just keep hearing about it. <laughs> I play it for the first time yeah. if someone wants to play. Anyway, uh, whatever, you, uh, whatever you're doing, pause and try something to help you, calm you, uh, brings you joy, brings you happiness. And... Um, it has helped me. Running has mm-hmm. helped me. Uh, 
but also you have to have discipline. Mm. So one of the things I'm hearing as as we get ready to close is to come to a place where you're more joyful. Um, you have to do the courageous thing and you have to forgive. Forgive the people that maybe have hurt you. Sometimes it might even be forgive yourself. Correct. And then find an outlet, a passion um, where you can be disciplined to achieve things or focus on and be passionate. And then also your story just exemplifies. Also pursue your purpose. Pursue your purpose with passion because in doing that, you'll be able to serve others, give back to others, be a voice for the voiceless. And you can make a bigger difference and impact than you probably ever knew or could believe. And just like your story, over 100,000 people have clean water. Everyone in your, your district or community where you grew up now has access to clean water. And I think that's, that's an incredible story of overcoming. Perseverance. Mm. You've got to persevere. Uh, for me, uh, when I was in that fire, and mm. I didn't have a hope uh, that I would get up. There was something that inspired. It was that voice that really told me that I'd be okay. So I, I fought for my life. And luckily, I got up. And when I also was in the hospital, um, when I was in the hospital, you know, the doctor said I would never run again. He said, son, you used to be a champion. You used to be number one in the country. Forget that. Wow. You would never run again. And I challenged him. I challenged him because I look my life being a crippled, not be able to do anything. Uh, that would destroy me. That would really kill me. And so what happened was I had to find a way to get back to running. I didn't want to just let those people that tried to kill me uh, like holding my life a hostage. I had to do something. That's what I took that bike to stretch it out. Mm. I took that leap of faith to see what would happen. Luckily, I came alive. What I'm trying to tell you is never give up. Mm. We live in a world that's very easy to just give up. Instead of giving up, search for answer, looking for a solution, knock on the doors, people to help you out. Um, I did that. And so, and so you, you can do it. Uh, very easy. I live we in the, in the running words, whenever you go give a speech or to high school or to people, uh, it's always excuses of people like, I can't run because I have a bad knee. And again, I have a bad knee. And, and then you start asking the question, what have you done? Have you seen a doctor? We have the best doctor in town here. Have you seen a doctor? No. Uh, I just can't run. My knees are too old. But I, I, it's very easy to give up. To make an excuse. Yes. And so my message to you is to never give up and always seek for solution, ask for help, knock on the door. People will help you and you'll get help. Wow. I think I have a question for you. Um, well, I have a couple. I would love for you to share where people can follow you, where people can find your website, the Gazelle Foundation. Um, and we're going to link that in the show notes for everyone to find and when we post. 
But um, oh, and also not to leave it out, but you were in People Magazine and the the, the sexiest <laughs> men alive edition. Great, can you, you pull? That? There it is. There it is. <laughs> Look at him posing. It's really great. Uh, for you that have just watched or listened to this on Spotify or Apple, you might want to go back and rewatch it on YouTube to see mm-hmm. one of the sexiest men alive. <laughs> but I, I did want to ask. Um, you know, I, I don't think I've ever asked this on the show, but I, I asked my grandfather this a day or two before he died. And he had cancer and, and I was with him whenever he took his last breath. And But before I got him into the bed, we were sitting on um, these these rocking chairs on the front patio. And I asked him, I go, Peppa, if you could say anything to the world and maybe it's to your family, to your close friends, but just think if you had a billboard, if you had a billboard where you had to say something, um, maybe it's something to remember, some principles to live by, you know, how would you want to sum it up on a billboard for everyone to see? If I could ask you that, what would be, what would be on the billboard? That's a, a lot of tough questions. What one is there's a run with joy. The life you live, everything you're doing, run with joy. I remember when I was young, I was getting a confirmation in a Catholic church and uh, I I did well, they did a celebration in a family and uh my the bishop gave me a note that said, "Always love God and the people." Hmm. Right? I took that. I left in my house. Okay. When I was coming to America, my mother, um, I went to say goodbye. It was very uh, emotional. Uh, she didn't have a clear understanding where I'm going, what I would be, if I would be back. This is a kid who just uh, escaped a horrible massacre. Now he's going to be away from me, and I would not get a chance to help and do things. And she's crying, and she said, give me a hug. And she said, son, you go in a country where you don't know anyone. You don't have a dad, mom, and grandfather, whatever. Always love God and people. I live with that message. My message to all of you, my friend, in everything you do, trying to find a joy and live with joy. Hmm. Thank you for that. You know, it's really unique. Do you, do you know this? I told you what he told me, right? My grandfather. My grandfather said on the billboard, he, uh, and he wasn't a real religious man, but he said, trust God, um, Many people will tell you that you can't, but I can tell you by the life I've lived, you can. And he goes, and lastly, love God and love people. Oh my gosh! So, oh yeah. my God. <laughs> Think about and, it. We have a lot in common. Yeah, we do. Yeah, and yeah. and I think that's something people can't can't argue with. It's not love God and judge people. That's not. It's not be scared of God and judge. It's it's love and love. And who can argue with that? Yeah. You know, that's just a. Um, it's just love. And thank you so much. Where can people find you? Uh, GazelleFoundation.org. 
gazellefoundation.org. Here it is on the on the screen. I've got Gilbert's gazelle.com yeah. up. Right yeah, yeah, yeah. Now. That's yeah. Uh, it's that's and also a running group that I started. Mm-hmm. How uh, can people come run with you if they're in Austin? Oh, anybody can come run with Gilbert. Uh, they would find a schedule on on the website. Yeah, okay. run with joy. It's a mantra. Run with joy, and uh, that's uh, the Gilbert's gazelles. I just started in two thousand two, and um, you can find me on Instagram. That's uh, Gilbert uh, Tuhabonya. If you look my name, Gilbert Tuhabonya, you'll be able to find. I have an Instagram and. Uh, it's been my pleasure being on this show. This is amazing. I, I can't believe I have not uh, met you or been here because you you doing an incredible job. It's so Thank awesome you. to talk to you about the pygmies because you really understand. And I can't believe you lived with the pygmies. Yeah. That 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 is people, that's amazing. <laughs> You're talking about leaving uh everything behind, sleeping on the dirt. Uh mm, yeah. I um I have a picture. We'll we'll end with this. Um, but let's see. There's a few of them, but this was, and we might not include this in the show. But this was, this was the hut I lived in for a year. <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> so I god. could I couldn't stand up in it. Did you but, build this? Uh, I helped. the 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 women are the ones that are the best at making it. Um, so I was taught how to do it, but I'm not, I'm not the best at it. Let me show you one more. And then um, thank you so much for being here, Gilbert. I'm so incredibly grateful for you, but this is one of my favorite photos. And these are the kids that, that honestly have done more for me than I've done for them. They, they brought me joy and allow me to live my life running, running with joy now. In fact, they helped save my life because um, I'm a, uh, with, we talk about mental health. I'm a two-time suicide survivor, went through addiction, depression, attempted to take my life twice. And whenever I met the pygmy people, they showed me I could fight for people and, and just, yeah, it gave me so much purpose, passion, joy, all those things. So as, as much as I try to do for them with the, the nonprofit, they've done even more for me. And so I'm, I'm incredibly grateful. And so thank you for being here. Uh, we hopefully we'll see each other much more than this. I've been in Austin a year and a half, so we'll have to make it more than once a year and, uh, some dance parties. How about that? Yes. Yes. I'm in. I'm in. Okay. Me too. Yes. Thank you very, very much. This is amazing. Mm, Thank you. You are. Hey, don't forget to send your overcome stories to overcome podcast at gmail.com and also rate review, subscribe and follow overcome with Justin Wren.